I'm standing on a sunny street in Orlando, Florida. It feels like a 1950s car commercial, except that everything here is in color. If you've ever seen the TV show Weeds, these are the little houses made of ticky-tacky. Desmond Mead just moved into one of these houses. You wouldn't have seen him in the 1950s car ad. He's black, a former felon, and, well, maybe this would be reminiscent of the 50s. He doesn't have the right to vote. Yeah, let's go. More than six million people are disenfranchised across America because of state laws that ban former felons from voting. That's one in every 40 adults, according to a criminal justice reform nonprofit called The Sentencing Project. In Florida, where Desmond lives, that number jumps to more than one in 10. For black people in Florida, it's more than one in five. I'll repeat that. Because of a state law, more than one in five black people in Florida cannot vote. From NBC News, this is The Trail Tapes. I'm Jake Heller. I think that what's going on in Florida is an embarrassment to our democracy. Desmond is getting into his car. He spends a lot of time here because not only is he the one in the one in five black Floridians who won't be able to vote in this election, he's also a leader in the state's burgeoning voter rights restoration movement. I'm on the ground every single day meeting real people, hearing real stories. So I'm not an analyst locked up in a room punching, you know, uh, inputs on the computer, coming up with these models or these theories or whatever. You know, I'm talking about real life flesh and blood conversations with people um, and, and me myself being personally impacted. He travels around the state to help other ex-felons apply to get their voting rights back. In Florida, if you've been convicted of a felony and want to vote, you have to individually petition the government to get your rights back. Most people are unsuccessful and the process can take more than a decade. Have you, have you listened to the Hamilton soundtrack? Hamilton. It's a play, and there's a song... Yeah, I've, I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, it's about Alexander Hamilton, and there's a song in the play that's just all about how nonstop he is. And it really? just is like, man, this man is nonstop. And that's what I think about when I hear about how <laughs> nonstop your days are. You think about Hamilton, you know what I think about? I think about DJ Khaled, right? <laughs> Every day I'm hustling, hustling, hustling. Yeah. Is that Rick Ross? That's Rick Ross. That's Rick Not Ross. DJ, that's, yeah, Rick yeah, Ross. that's Rick Ross. And that's what I think about because guess and what? That Every Cat day that 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 vibe and that energy that comes from that song, hustling. Every day I'm hustling. You know, every day I'm out there fighting, hustling, trying to figure out ways to improve not my life, but the lives of others. You know, cuz I know that if I can help improve other people's lives, my lives will automatically improve. But Rick Ross aside, Desmond feels a calling to return the right to vote to his fellow one-time felons. There is a, 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 a deep-seated obligation. I think it's a moral obligation that whenever there's someone in need and if you have the ability to help, you go out there and you help. This is an all-American human rights moral initiative at the end of the day. This is about as American as apple pie, baseball, and Chevrolet. And it's a dedication rooted in his own experience. I remember when I was suffering, how I needed somebody to pick up, 
or how I needed somebody to be there. And I remember that feeling of, of rejection or hopelessness when I turned around and there was no one there. You know, and I don't want people to go through that. Twelve years ago, Desmond was released from prison. He was then a 37-year-old drug addict, he says, and was put on a train to Miami in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. And what do you do? Nothing is open, except Hooters. <laughs> so did you go to Hooters? And I went to Hooters. I sure did. I went to Hooters, um, ordered some wings and a beer. And after I was finished, I went to a homeless shelter. And then what? Well, after, um, after going to the homeless shelter, you know, I was able to go through a program there uh, that helped me find housing. Uh, but I still had that drug addiction. And so I probably went through that program twice. Uh, and it was the, the, after the second time that I was just fed up with that vicious cycle of relapsing. You know, uh, one minute you're clean and sober and then you start using drugs, you relapse and start using drugs again. And then you're worse off than when you were before. And I was tired of that cycle. And that's when uh, I, one day I was walking and as I was approaching railroad tracks, you know, it was one of those hot and humid days in August in Miami. And as I was approaching those tracks, I thought of a story I read in the paper about a week ago, before prior, um, where a gentleman in Fort Lauderdale committed suicide by jumping in front of a train. And I was just fixated on that story. And I remember when I got to the railroad tracks, I stopped and I could not cross. And I stood there waiting on that train, and, and the only thing that was going through my mind at the time was how much pain I was going to feel. You know, and I was going back and forth about whether or not I would die instantly or I had to go through moments of agonizing pain. And all I knew that I just, I didn't want, I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't, I didn't want to go through this anymore. There was nothing to go through, and I stood there waiting, just waiting. But that train didn't come. It didn't come. And at some point I crossed those tracks and you know, I think it wasn't the crossing of the tracks that triggered something. I think it was after I crossed those tracks. And I had stopped and asked myself, how many people would have come to my funeral if I would have died that day? If that train would have came and I would have jumped in front of it, how many people would have come to my funeral? And the answer was zero. And that was a lonely feeling. Desmond kept walking. Just up ahead, he said he found a drug treatment center, and he checked in. Soon after, he found himself watching a different funeral than the one he had been planning in his mind. Civil rights icon Rosa Parks had just died, and her funeral was being broadcast right there onto the TV in Desmond's drug treatment center. Something just came over me and, and it hit me and I, and I jumped up just screaming at the TV. I'm like, that's it, that's it, that's what I want. I want when I die that, that, that thousands of people will mourn, you know, and, and, and 
my mind started racing and, and I started planning my funeral. And in thinking of Rosa Parks, you know, I thought to myself, man, Desmond, wait a minute. Maybe if you could take all of that pain and that suffering and that misery and that low self-esteem that led you to the railroad tracks, if you could package it in such a way to where you can help other people so they don't have to go to those railroad tracks and go through the things that you went through, maybe they'll be able to help other people and so on and so on. And before long, you know, when you do die, that there's going to be some people say, man, if it wasn't for Desmond helping such and such, my life wouldn't have improved. Rosa Parks is an apt idol for Desmond, even though his dreams of a nationally broadcast funeral might be a little far-fetched. Though you never know. Because even though voter disenfranchisement laws affect all people, the 1 in 40 adults nationwide I mentioned before, the laws disproportionately affect African Americans. One in 13 black people won't vote in this election because of these laws. And again, the number is one in five African Americans in Florida, a crucial swing state. That's why Desmond calls the Florida law a Jim Crow law. There is no doubt in my mind that this law is the Jim Crow law. You know, I believe, I mean, it's, it's historical fact that, you know, these uh, felon disenfranchisement laws seen its reemergence after the slaves were, were freed. Uh, and they were implemented in order to uh, restrict access to the polling place. And so along with um, poll taxes, along with literacy tests, you know, felon disenfranchisement was a, main, it was a staple during that era as it relates to how could we strip these newly released slaves of this ability or this right to civically engage and have a say in how this country is ran or how this community is ran. People would ask me all the time is, well, Desmond, why don't you move to another state, you know? And every time they tell me that, I'm, I, I go back to the, the times of slavery when all a slave had to do was cross an imaginary line for freedom. And I think in 2016, no American citizen, no matter what their color is, no matter what their political preference may be, should have to escape a state in order to you know, experience what being a full citizen is all about. So now you're leading a fight to try to re-enfranchise felons in this state. And a lot of the times you wear a shirt that says, let my people vote. We've been talking about the historical context of these laws. That's almost bringing it to a biblical place. Is this a biblical struggle for you? <laughs> I think it's, it's, this struggle is a moral struggle, you know, and, and there is a biblical, there's a lot of biblical context to the work that I'm doing. Um, you know, when you talk about, you know, let my people vote, you know, and you go back to the story of Moses when he had to tell Pharaoh that God told him to let his people go. Let my people go. I, really, I mean, because it's like an internal persecution. And so at some point, you know, you need to forgive somebody and move on. At some point, you need to let God's people go. Because in Florida, once an individual, after they have served their time, they have to wait either five or seven years before they're even allowed to ask for permission to have their rights restored. Five or seven years. But when you look at it in the biblical aspect 
and you're reminded of the story of when Jesus was on the cross and that criminal asked him to be saved, Jesus didn't tell him he had to wait five or seven years. What Jesus said was this day you shall enter into paradise. And that, is, that, that strikes at the heart of all faith. That's especially Christianity because what it speaks to is that concept of forgiveness, redemption, and restoration. So if you are a person of faith, right, and you know that you're not perfect, and it was only through forgiveness and redemption you were given another opportunity, right, to, to go about your life and to enter into heaven or enter into paradise, then what we're doing here in Florida should be an affront to your faith. It should almost be blasphemy. It should be anti-religion, uh, 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 anti-Christianity, anti-Judaism, anti-Islam, because at the end of the day, each and every one of those religions uh, speak about forgiveness, redemption, and restoration. There's no waiting period. There's no five or seven waiting period to be forgiven. There's no waiting period for forgiveness, but there is a concern about recidivism, which is why nonviolent felons have to wait the five years before they can even apply to have their rights restored, and why others have to wait for seven years. It's also why Florida never automatically reinstates someone's voting rights. That ban stays with you even once you've served your sentence, completed your parole, and finished your probation. There are currently some 1.5 million people in Florida who cannot vote because of these so-called post-sentence bans. Desmond says this thinking is backward. There's no better way of demonstrating being part of a society than having the ability to have your voice heard or to vote. There's no better way. There's nothing else out there that speaks to American citizenship than voting. And so if you want to ensure that someone feel a part of their society, you give them a say. When you go, when you look back in the history of this country, you know, women were not considered a part until they were what? Given the right to vote, given that ability to vote. Because until then, they were treated as something other than full citizenship. They didn't enjoy the rights of, of, of white men. And so when you're talking about American citizens, Yes, they did something wrong, but are you stripping them of that birthright? Are you stripping them of that citizenship for life because they made a mistake? Because they did something wrong? That seems to me counterpositive. And you're talking about how fundamental this idea of not restricting the vote is to notions of American democracy. I just want to read to you um, the 15th Amendment, um, and I'd love to get your take on what these words mean in the context of your day-to-day -day life. So the 15th Amendment to the Constitution says, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. What do you think about that? That means that I should have the right to vote right now. Period. End of story. And why don't you think you do? Because there's a caveat to that. Which is? So in, in the 14th Amendment, Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, 
um, there is a caveat because it restricts, it prevents the states from restricting voting uh, access to its citizens, except in cases of treason or other crimes. And that's been a, a source of debate over the years. Florida's new rules put in place in 2011 by Republican Governor Rick Scott made Florida's felon voting laws some of the most restrictive in the country. Civil rights groups opposed the move, but to no avail. Since 2011, only 2,339 people have had their rights restored. When you talk about a person with a felony conviction, we're in a state of bondage. And here's the bad part about it. We're in a state of bondage after we have served our time, after we have paid our debt. Desmond also points out that these laws affect far more people than the felons themselves. So when we talk about six million people disenfranchised, we're really talking about many more. Voting used to be something of a, a tradition, a family tradition. Uh, you know, when mom and dad, you know, would get the kids dressed and they would all go to the polling uh, place. But when you strip mom and dad of the right to vote, then you reduce the likelihood of, of that family really being engaged in how important it is to actually vote, right? And so if I can't vote, you know, I might not go around and tell people, hey, you guys need to vote. I want to not talk about that because anytime that subject is brought up or anytime there's an election that's held, you know, whether it's state or, or local or federal, you know, that kind of reopens a wound inside, reminding me that I can't vote. I'm not a full-fledged citizen. So what would Desmond tell the millions of Americans who do have the right to vote? What would I tell someone? Here we are at another election cycle, and there are millions of people who have the opportunity to vote. I don't. And I want to. What else do I have to do? I've owned up to my mistakes. I've paid my debt. What else do I have to do? So, on November 8th, if you can, vote. It's your right. Don't take it for granted. This episode was produced by me and Melanie Ben Cosme. I also edited the episode. You can check out a video profile of Desmond as well as all of our other Trail Tapes episodes at NBCNews.com slash Trail Tapes. Thank you to Shad and DJ Tilo for their great opening track and to Hey Rosetta and Yukon Blonde for their beautiful closing song. Now go vote. Where to change has